This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. And welcome back into the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. I always love talking football with you, but when you're previewing Championship Sunday, it's even more fun. And I'm going to say something right now I haven't said since 1992. Let's preview the Detroit Lions in the NFC Championship game with today, Eric Kramer, who was at the helm the last time the Lions got this far, and he was at Ford Field for their first-round victory over the Rams. Good to have Eric on the show to talk quarterback and, and also about his new book that is an absolutely outstanding read. Eric, how you feeling? And it's good to see you so happy these days, man. That picture you put on Twitter – the night of the Rams game with you and Barry Sanders and Kevin Glover, the smiles on all of your faces could be felt miles away, man. That was fun. Tell us what it felt like. Well, I, I remember uh, the first person I saw that night was Kevin. And he goes, you know, how it kind of used to be cool where, you know, we were the whatever, we won the playoff game and, and for a couple of years there. But then it was like 10 years went by, 20 years went by. Like it's time already. And that was a great night, obviously, and I I remember uh, it was obviously great getting to be reunited with so many guys that had come back and and uh, but at the end of the game I was looking down I think maybe at my cell phone or something and the crowd went crazy I'm like what did I miss what I missed was Jared Goff kneeling down signifying it's now time to explode to the city of Detroit. <laughs> What a great game. What a classic game it was. And with the stories with Goff and Stafford having switched uniforms a few years ago, I I get the feeling you would have liked playing for a guy like Dan Campbell. Did you get a chance to spend any time with the Lions coach? I haven't yet, but I really would like to. Um, And I just like everybody. I'm a fan. And anytime you can uh, have somebody that looks to be, and I, there's no way you can fake this, looks to be a guy that everybody not only has faith in him, but he has faith in other people in the, in the way that he believes in the players around him, or, you know, I guess to play for him, in such a way that not only are they grateful to play for him, he's grateful to coach them. And the chemistry that's developed over the course of what's now become three years uh, speaks volumes because Go back for another franchise that was three and whatever the first year they took over to now playing for an NFC championship game. And it kind of reminds me in a way of there's a a book that was written by Bill Walsh. It actually came out after he passed away. And it's called The The Score Takes Care of Itself. And in there, he talks about how. You know, he had all these plans when he took over the 49ers and uh, couldn't get a general manager to even accept the job to be one. So he was his own. And the first year they go two and 14. The next year they start out and they win their first three. But then they go on this long losing streak that on Monday night against Miami Dolphins, 
That was one they almost won but didn't for like their eighth or ninth loss in a row. He's contemplating going in the next morning and resigning before he gets fired. 18 months later, they won the Super Bowl against the Cincinnati Bengals. And so I, you know, Dan Campbell, this is no surprise to him, where it might be a surprise to everybody else. But I think not only him, but the whole from uh, Mrs. Hamp for Ford Hamp on the way down to Chris Spielman and, and Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell and all the people in that building. It's just so fun to watch from afar that everybody seems to be all rowing their oars, all have men in the water and they're all rowing in the same direction. You know, I have a friend from Detroit, and he contends, and this is his opinion, it doesn't make him right, but he says the people of Detroit would trade those Stanley Cup banners for one Super Bowl championship, and it it truly does appear to be a special bond between the Lions fans and the guys on the field. And, you know, you could tell when you guys were acknowledged just a couple of weeks ago that that fondness for what you accomplished more than 30 years ago is still thick, isn't it? It, it is. And I remember, like, I've never chucked, you know, I, I'd never in my life talked to, to Jeff Daniels before. I didn't even, you know, I, there he was standing there. And I went up and said hi to him. And he was like, you know, this is amazing. He goes, and this is really a testament to you guys back then. Uh, that's where all this today has come from. And so when you talk about the guys that are on that team that were were part of this franchise and part of this team before even Dan Campbell came here and what that must mean to them because for so long Detroit as a football team has been insignificant and yet now um, it, it must be so gratifying to the guys that have been there now you know six seven eight years uh, which there aren't many of but um, you know it, it's just got to be tremendously gratifying to have been there and see the evolution of what's been happening. Obviously, this fan base that goes back generations, uh, you know, they had a guy on the sideline last game. This became a national story. Ben Cobb, I think is his name. Um, he, he, he came, he's, uh, he got super uh, season tickets in 1957, the last championship of the Lions. He must have been thinking back then, well, this is going to be this way every year. <laughs> Yeah. Bobby Lane, come back. Uh, no kidding. It's it's just crazy to see how fond people are from something that goes back so far. And, you know, you experienced it in Chicago, too, even though uh, Steve Walsh was at the helm when the 94 Bears won a playoff yeah. game on New Year's right. Day in 95. And I have to bring it to where we are locally, because once again, Eric, the Bears have the number one pick in the draft. It's a long time to still be asking questions about Justin Fields. If you were in charge, would you move along and try to find that franchise quarterback or would you give it one more go round? It's not too often that you find yourself with the number one overall pick, much less two years in a row. And for as much as they were able to get for last year's pick, if you decide it to me, the thing to do is to, um, for lack of a better term, cash out on Justin Fields, because I think he's what he did to me, what in, in my opinion, what he did this year was give himself an opportunity to have a future somewhere else. But he also gave the Bears some value 
in what they could trade to get for him. And if you move on from Justin, having them one pick this year is a lot more valuable than it was last year because there's a lot of teams sitting right behind where the Bears are that could all use, also use a quarterback. So if you decide that, I don't care who it is, Caleb Williams, Drake May, doesn't matter. They better be so much better than a guy like, and this is just one name I'm throwing out, Bo Nix. I don't know. There, there, there's probably a handful you could put out there. That the number one pick to me this year equates to an elite edge rusher, traded back again, an elite left tackle, traded back again, an elite whatever. And then you go get a guy that's, a, in many people's eyes, a B quarterback uh, with great leadership skills. With that can throw it anywhere you want to. That's athletic. That's, you know, like I said, wherever that guy is, Drake May or Caleb Williams better be the Empire State Building tall above him for that, for you not to take that guy at the top. So I think this team, the Bears, next year could be what the Lions are this year because they have that kind of, um, they're built from the ground up, meaning through the draft, selected free agents, late acquisition with Montez Sweat. All that could be done again. And um, and then if you have a Brock Purdy-esque quarterback, I mean, no one's – who's to say that Tyson Bajan couldn't start off next year? Yeah, there were moments when he looked like he had been there before, weren't there? I mean, it was there a pretty incredible were. little burst, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's my feeling. My, my feeling is you could take this year's number one selection, add it to all the other draft picks the Bears already have, in addition to what they might pick up for Justin Fields' trade. Still got a little bunch of cat space that Ryan Pauls, I think, did a great job in judiciously spending – and making decisions on who and who not to get and go after. Adding a Montez Sweat, obviously they need a center, they need other positions, and they need depth. And so, you know, another playmaking receiver would be great. But you don't have to get Marvin Harrison to have a playmaking receiver. So, you know, I I, I don't know. I just I think the combination of Ryan Pauls and Matt Eberflus and the people over there that are making all the decisions on on acquiring players who to keep, who not to keep, and so forth. They're, they've really done a fantastic job given where they started. They have. In two years, they have. And you, you've you got your finger on the pulse of a lot of things positionally. Uh, lying in the weeds out there in California, you know the Bears backwards and forwards. There's one theory. People, got to get your opinion on this. People keep saying this to me, and I just keep scratching my head. The Bears have never got it right when they've drafted a quarterback in the first round. Let's accept that and get a tackle who can protect whoever you have or get a playmaker. To me, that's having a leaky roof and worrying about your deck. Okay, I can't fix, seem to get this roof fixed. I'm going to let it leak while I fix the deck and, you know, get new windows. It doesn't make any sense to me. you got to keep trying. It's too critical to not have one of those guys. I agree with you. I do. But – so that's my point is let's say it's player X and I don't know who that guy is, but he better be like, you don't miss on him at all. Like that's the guy because with a strong team, 
Brock Purdy wasn't even the 49ers' greatest selection. They let seven rounds go by. And they drafted people that we've never even heard of that are no longer with the 49ers ahead of him. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying that's the way to go, but I'm saying you got Tyson Bajan, who is that guy right now. And, you know, you get you then go draft Caleb Williams. Great. Where you still don't have an elite left tackle. And you still don't have an elite edge rusher to go opposite Montez Sweat. You got guys. But, you know, if you really want to put this thing to make it all work, then you got to have not only all, all 22 starters, but a lot of great backups in there as well. And quarterback being one of them. Let's get to the Lions and 49ers. Debo Samuel not going to go for the Niners. Uh, just a little bit ago, I saw Detroit is getting seven in the game. I, I was really impressed by what the Lions did, especially out of the gate against Tampa, Eric, and that is defensively. They took the ball away. They created pressures. They haven't made a ton of big plays defensively, and I'm sure that's something that Campbell is beating into their heads this week. How do you see this thing shaking out this week? What do the Lions have to do to get to their first Super Bowl? So if we look back at the, at the two playoff games, they've beaten two very good teams. The, uh, Tampa was much better than what I thought they were going to be. And so start to finish in both games, um, they, the, for every punch the, the Lions threw, they took one. And, but yet at the end of the game, uh, offensively, defensively, they got pressure. They created, they, you know, they got a turnover in the last play of the game. Uh, they got sacks. They got hits on the quarterback. Um, gashes in the run game were no longer gashes. Offensively, Jared Goff two weeks in a row has been flawless at the in the fourth quarter. Hasn't thrown an interception in I don't know how many games. And so you've got a team of resilient players. They've created plays on special teams, whether it be a, a fake punt, whether it be a, a you know, a, a perfectly timed long return. They're doing, or, or Jamar Gibbs hits them with a home run from 40 yards out. It doesn't matter. Like, they now know. They get cl into a close game into the fourth quarter. This is their time to shine because they've done it and have done it repeatedly. You going to the game? I No, I don't think I am. There's a chance. So here's how starved Detroit is. You remember back when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016 or whatever. And I will guarantee you, well, I shouldn't say guarantee, but I would guess there were more fans outside of Wrigley in Game 7 than there were inside Cleveland. And that's what's going to go on this weekend in Detroit. There's going to be a watch party at Ford Field, which I just might go to because it would be packed. <laughs> that sounds like fun. And then you got to get to Vegas for the Super Bowl. Should they get by San Francisco? No doubt. No uh, doubt. I'm, I'm going to go there for the, uh, a few days beforehand for, for a radio row. And, uh, I've talked to a friend of mine. If he wants to go to the game, he'll get a ticket. I said, if you go, I'll go. So yeah. Awesome. Radio row. Take disinfectant. Uh, been a few <laughs> years since I've worked that one. Uh, you know, when we talked in October, we spent about an hour together, and most of it was about 
the ultimate comeback and what you've been through. And I was surprised in my conversations in the following days. There are a lot of football guys in Chicago who are unaware of your story that you attempted suicide about your son Griffin's fatal overdose and all you'd been through. And they, they asked me, you know, well, how is Eric? And uh, some mutual friends of ours, Bears employees and, and, and so on. And I said, he sounds incredibly positive and cognitively he has made it through this after some really tough weeks and months. And yeah. as a mental health advocate, I've heard very few people who have outlined as as meticulously as you did the plan of attack you went about for conquering depression and dealing with all of the sorrow and pain in your life. And I hope people will listen to the message and I hope it continues to be received. How how has the book gone and how have your conversations with people gone about how they're receiving it? Because it's it's five stars from my perspective, man. Well, I, pre I appreciate that, Dan. And, and the feedback I've gotten, everyone's been five stars. And so I think this book, certainly it's it's about my life and some some of it has to do with football. Most of it doesn't. Uh, most of it has to do with my life. If it has to do with football, it has to do with my wife while playing. And um, uh, but there's, you know, parts of it are where there's an actual letter that I wrote several of before I went to go commit this act. And one of them was to my son, Dylan. Um, in fact, the book leads off with that. But then it also morphs into um, uh, the relationship that I had with both my parents who also passed away. Uh, after Griffin and um, uh, and my sons and and the uh, just you know there's so much part there's so much a part of this book that other people deal with in their own lives whether it's anxiety and depression whether it's a overbearing father whether whether it's a who knows what and the people have reached out to me for all different reasons in that same regard. Um, and I think this book, for that reason, speaks to a lot of people. Um, obviously, uh, mental health is a mental and health. When I was playing, those two words didn't even go together in the same sentence. And, you know, now, obviously, they do. And it's kind of a you name a part of society, whether it's professional or social, that doesn't have some uh, coordinated effort with mental health. There isn't any. Not it's in schools now. It's in companies. It's in pro sports. It's in colleges. It's it's everywhere. And I think the time is prime right now to um, get the program that I'm behind moving in that direction. And I wish you nothing but the uh, luck with it, and keep the lines open as as I will attempt to do. And uh, you know, next time you're in Chicago, let's uh, let's do something together and uh, have fun at Ford. Field. If you go to that watch party, I, I think you're guaranteed to have a great weekend. And, right? and keep I mean, smiling and keep keep selling the message, man. It's a damn good one, Eric. I appreciate that. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, we'll have some fun this weekend. We'll smile unapologetically. <laughs> I love it. Eric Kramer, the former Detroit Lion and Chicago Bear. Lions and Niners this weekend. I'm Dan McNeil on the Danny Mac Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.